Praise the Lord. Amen. I'm looking forward to that day, aren't you? Praise the Lord. I know I got some special loved ones. It's already went there. Amen. They've already got to experience that. What a lovely, what a day that was for them. Amen. And, and uh, I'd like to go and see it myself someday. Amen. I want to be there with Jesus. You know, he saved me here on this earth and been living with him for a while now. But praise God, that's what our hope is for the future. Is when this life's over, we're going to go be with him. Amen. Praise the Lord. Turn with me to uh, Genesis chapter 3 once again. We're just going to continue on what we started last week. But uh, a good lesson, I believe, and something something very much needed in the body of Christ and, and something for us to learn. It'll help us and, and maybe help, uh, help us help others as well. Amen. So Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 9. Amen. So I'll give you just a moment to find your spots there in uh, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 9. <clears throat> Let's pray about this because I'm just going to go through. I'm not going to read the whole text this time, but we're going to go slowly through it. So let's go ahead and pray over the word this morning before we begin. Lord, we come to you today. We thank you, God, for this day you've given us. We thank you, Lord, for the word now we're about to read. Lord, we pray that God would be able to minister this word unto this, your people. Amen. And so we can see here what the Bible says from the very beginning. Lord, sometimes it's good to go back to the beginning to see what it is that helps us in our lives. So, Father, we pray for this word. We pray that it goes forth. Give us the ability, Lord, to minister your word today to your people. We ask it, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. In Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 9, let me just catch you up. We're going to talk, I guess we're uh, kind of a sermon series uh, has started a little bit, maybe at least for two weeks. We talked last week about the consequences of sin and the things that happens when we commit a willful sin. And we talked last week about what is sin. It simply means this. There's lots of definitions, lots of reasons and things people talk about. But sin is simply knowing what this says or knowing what God has said, but then doing what we want to anyway. That's a good, simple way to understand it. And so when we commit a sin, we learned last week that there were four things that happened. And I'll just refresh you quickly as we build into this lesson. Guilt and shame happens. We get guilty and, and we get shameful of, of what we've done. Then we try to hide that shame. We saw that with Adam and Eve. They tried to make they made coverings for themselves and tried to cover up their own shame and their own sinfulness. Then we do something that was very, very profound and very uh, futile was we learned about we try to hide from God. And then the fourth thing we talked about last week was that God confronts us and he asks us, where are you? And it's not that the Lord doesn't know where we're at. He knows exactly where we're at, but he wants asks that question to let us see where we're actually living at. Amen. And so that was where we finished up last week. We talked about where are you? Now, in today's lesson, I would like to, I guess we call this, uh, last week was the consequences of sin, the things that happen. And today we're going to talk about how man responds when he's confronted by God. Because when God confronts you, you're going to have to give some type of an answer, right? You're going to, anytime we're on the work, in the workplace or at school or whatever, if we do something wrong and we're found out, we get confronted, don't we? We might have to go to the principal's office. We may have to go to the boss's office, whatever it may be. We're going to be confronted, and then we have to learn how we're supposed to answer. And today, that's what I want to talk to you about is how we answer God. Amen? So Genesis chapter 3 and verse 9. <clears throat> this was after they had sinned and tried to hide themselves and tried to hide from God and everything that had went on there. In verse 9, the Bible says this. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? 
So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And that's where we find the story now is that Adam really did think that he could hide from God. So do people today, right? People think today that they do stuff as long as nobody else knows and they've got it covered. They think that, well, God's not that impressed by it. He's not that moved by it. He doesn't care. He doesn't know. And they think they've successfully hidden. But we learned last week that that's the whole message and the whole reason we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ is because the gospel of Jesus Christ confronts people where they live. It lets them know that they're a sinner and they need Jesus and he's the only way out of their sin condition. So when we ask that question, where are you? That's what the Bible's talking about. That's what Jesus uh, asks us when he says, where do you live? Where is your life at? Where are you living at? And the Bible teaches us that we're all sinners and we need a Savior. Amen. We need to come to Jesus. So now in verse 10, we get, uh, verse 11, we'll get into the our lesson today. That just kind of was a bridge from last week to this week. Verse 11 says, and he said, this is God speaking now. After Adam had said, well, I was afraid and I hid myself because I was naked. Verse 11, Adam answers and said, or God answers and said, I'm sorry. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? And what got me started on this whole lesson series was, was uh, questions that God asks. And I got to thinking about it and I did a little research on it. You know, the very first question that's asked in the history of mankind that's recorded in the Bible, you know what that question was? It was the devil questioning what God had said. He asked Eve, did God really say that you would die if you eat that fruit? That was the first question ever asked. Then the second question asked was when we talked about last week when God said, Adam, where are you? And now he goes to asking a couple more questions. Why did God ask this of Adam? God is omnipotent. He knows everything. He sees everything. Nothing's hidden from his eyes. He wasn't asking Adam for the reason that, that, well, he's God and I don't really know what Adam's done. He knew full well what Adam had done. Again, just like last week, God was asking a question for Adam to see how Adam was going to respond. I want you to think about that. God knew he'd already taken of the fruit. God knew everything that he had done. So God asks him this question. And he said, it's a two-part question really, I guess. Who told you that you were naked? Who? How did you find this out? I didn't tell you you were naked. I created you and made you naked and you had no shame. So who told you you were naked? It wasn't me. Then God says this phrase. Did you eat of the tree that I commanded you you shouldn't eat of? Did you do what I told you not to do? And in other words, it's phrased as a question, but it's basically a statement, isn't it? God is saying, in other words, what have you done? He asked last week, where are you? You're hiding from me. Trying to run away from the one who created you and loves you. And now he's saying, what have you done? God knew the answer. He asked to see how they would respond. Now look at verse 12. You know, sometimes I believe the Lord asks people questions just to see how they respond. We're going to find a few other places in Scripture that that's exactly what he did. But verse 12. Then the man said, Adam responded. This is man's response. And that's what our lesson's about today. The woman whom you gave to be with me. He doesn't say there that, oh, I love her so much and she's so special. He throws her right under the bus. 
I want you to look at that. The woman that you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Boy, I'm telling you one thing. Adam sure enjoyed the benefits of being around Adam, uh, Eve and having someone around and a companion and all those things. But just as soon as he got in trouble, what's he do? He threw her under the bus and blamed her for what he had done. Isn't that just like humanity? We do something wrong and we get caught. What's the first thing we do? Well, such and such has been doing it for years. They didn't get caught, did they? Right? Look how, look how Eve answers in verse 13. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. And she just tracks the blame right on down to the serpent that spoke to her and caused her to eat the thing. Right? Now see, we talked about it last week. The devil can't make you do anything. He can make it sound good. He can make it look good. He might make you think that it's going to be good and make you better, but he can't make you do anything. It's still your ultimately your decision for your actions. Man likes to shift the blame somewhere else. Now, I want you to think about this. This just came to me this morning uh, while you guys were having Sunday school. I had not thought of this. This is fresh. We like to admit to it, but blame someone else. You know, Adam and Eve both admitted to what they did but it's not our fault Adam said well yeah I ate it but it's because of that woman she gave it to me and then Eve said well yeah we ate it but it's because the devil told me to do it how many people says that in this world oh the devil made me do it no he didn't you did it because you wanted to do it Michelle and I were talking about it this morning and early la a little bit last night and it came to me and it's been coming to me a lot lately you know why people commit sin because they want to. You know why people come to church? Because they want to. If they don't want to come, they don't. If people want to commit sin, they commit sin. If they don't want to commit sin, they won't do it. People pretty much do whatever they want. And that's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is it teaches us that in ourselves is no good thing. We're going to be contrary to God, but with His help we can do the right thing. Amen? So... Admitting to our sins is not a confession. We talked last week we had to make a decision once we're confronted. Will we confess our sins or will we try to hide them, sweep them under the rug? Now, see, a lot of people think that just because you admit to it that that's a confession. No, that doesn't work. A lot of people admit to it and they, they say that they have done wrong only because they've been caught. Enter in politicians. These people do things and, and, and they go on for years getting away with it. And when they get caught, what do they do? They say, yeah, I did it. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But you know, and then they start making an excuse for their sins. See, just simply admitting to it is not confession. You know what true confession is? Is when you admit that you were wrong and then you take responsibility for it. If I do something wrong now at 43 years old, if I do something wrong now and I go back and try to blame my mom and dad when I'm a fully grown man now, been living on my own for 20-some years, I can't blame them anymore for my past. Can I? I can't blame them anymore because I'm my own person now. And see, so we can't just simply blame everybody else for our wrongdoing. We have to, what they call it, own it. 
to take responsibility for our actions. The Bible teaches us that we have to accept what we have done and not cast the blame anywhere else. Now, it's real easy. It's real easy to cast the blame to somebody else. So confession is admitting and taking responsibility. The Lord demands repentance. And I thought of this this week, and I have prayed about it and wrestled with it. And it's something that the Lord showed me, and I'm going to share it with you because it may sound controversial, but I'm going to show you in the Scriptures that it's true. The reason God asks this question, what have you done when He absolutely already knows what you've done? He does it because your punishment depends on your answer. God's punishment will be proportionate to how you answer that question when you're confronted. If you own up to it, then your punishment won't be as bad. But if you start shifting and casting blame, guess what? God's going to come down pretty hard on that. And I'll show you through the scriptures. King Saul, I was reading that. I'm always drawn to that story. King Saul, when he did wrong, you look at that and you see, it doesn't seem like it's all that bad. He usurped the office of a priest and gave the offering himself and made a sacrifice when it wasn't in his place to do that. And God got very upset and he said, I'm cutting your kingdom off. Once you're dead, it's done. It's not going to continue on with your sons. And you know how Saul responded? Well, I seen that the people had forsaken me and left me. He was always worried about what the people thought. And then later on when he was supposed to totally annihilate the Amalekites and he didn't do it, he said, well, the people, the people, the people. And we see why God's punishment was so harsh on Saul is because of the way he responded. God knew what was in his heart. And see, when he got caught, he should have just come clean and said, yes, I sinned and it was all my fault. But when he said, well, yeah, I did it, but it was the people. I was trying to keep them happy and I was trying to do this. And you hadn't come in time and on and on all the excuses that he gave. God doesn't want excuses. He wants repentance. And that means not only admitting it, but actually taking responsibility for it. Amen. I would. Well, I guess I guess you would have to pray about that and see. But yeah, I would try to restore. The Bible teaches us if we've done wrong to restore what we've done wrong. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And another thing that we we stop and forget about is the next king that came along was King David, and he did some pretty rotten things. David stole another man's wife and had that guy murdered by one of Israel's enemies, no doubt. But the difference is this. When, when Nathan came and told David what he had done, he set David up. He told a little parable. He told a story about somebody stealing something from somebody else. And he wanted to see what David's response was. And you know how David responded to that? He said, whoever's done to this, he's going to restore that, that little lamb fourfold, and this guy should probably even be put to death. And all of a sudden, Nathan said, you're the man who did it. And this mighty King David, who was a great warrior, who'd won all these victories, who'd had really no major issues up until this point, who had written psalms and danced before the Lord and done all these things, glorifying God. Do you know that Nathan chewed him out. I read back through that last night and there's about eight or nine verses of the Bible right there in that part where he lays David bare. 
He says, there's no excuse for this. God would have done this for you and would have given you more. And he said, but all, of, all you've wanted to do, and you've done wickedly before the Lord, and you've done evil in his presence. And I mean, he gives him a scathing report on his personal conduct. And guess how David responded? He could have blamed somebody else. He could have said, well, Bathsheba, maybe she shouldn't have been out in public where I could see her. He could have done a lot of things. But you know what David simply said? I've sinned. He accepted responsibility for what he did. And you see the difference between him, him and Saul. God wants us to accept responsibility for what we've done. That's what truly coming to Jesus means. That's what true confession is. Not just admitting we've done wrong. That's easy. We can admit we've done wrong, but then we kind of take it away by saying, well, it was, you know, it was Tammy's fault. She, you know, she, she made me do it. If she hadn't done what she's done, then I wouldn't have done what I did. See, we can't do that. We have to accept it. It was me. I did wrong. God have mercy on me. Right? I want you to think about a couple other kings. There was a man who ruled in the, the land of Israel over the northern tribe of Israel named Ahab. And the Bible says that he was one of the most wicked kings ever. And the Bible actually records that there was nobody in that northern kingdom of Israel that made the people walk after idols and do wickedly before the Lord than Ahab. But you know... When he heard the word of God and the punishment that he was going to get for what he had done by taking Naboth's vineyard, you know what the Bible says? It says Ahab humbled himself. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah and told Elijah, he said, did you see how he humbled himself? Therefore, since he's humbled himself in my presence, I'm going to put a pause button on the punishment I'm going to deal out. He will not see it with his own eyes. It's going to come later. Our punishment depends on how we answer God when we're found out. That's why when we come to Jesus, we just come to him and say, Jesus, I've been wrong. It's not mommy's fault. It's not daddy's fault. It's not my spouse's fault. Whoever, whatever it was we might want to try to blame, we just need to come clean with him and say, I'm the one who committed sin. And I did wrong. There was a fellow that ruled in the land of Judah a little bit later on. His name was Manasseh. And when you talk to Jews, even to this day, those Orthodox Jews, that is a dirty word in their mind and in their ears is that king that ruled named Manasseh because what he did was what caused them to be carried away in the first place. said that nobody in, in the land did more than him to cause the people to walk after idols. And it said he was so bad that he started doing things that was worse than the people in the land of Canaan originally were committing. The Bible says he was vile. He caused his children to pass through the fire and he worshipped all these false gods and idols. But it says he was carried away by an enemy. And there when he was found himself in being carried away, you know what the Bible says? That he repented and he humbled himself. And it says that he prayed to the Lord and the Lord heard his entreaty. And the Lord brought him back to his kingdom and put him on the throne in Jerusalem. And the Bible says right there in the book of 2 Kings that then he knew the Lord was God. Do you see what repentance will do? When you accept the blame for yourself, can't blame anybody else. It was me. I did it. Praise God. So our punishment depends on how we answer. Ananias and Sapphira are two individuals in the New Testament. They were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody was doing what they were doing at that time. They were getting a communion together. And, and when people had need, people would sell some of their stuff and take it and put it together. And they would have money for people to have food or a house over, a roof over their head and those kinds of things. 
And the Bible is very clear there that when people sold what they had, when they came to the apostles, they were supposed to be honest about what they were doing. The Bible doesn't say they had to give every bit of the money, but if they said they were going to give all the money, then they better be giving all the money. Well, Ananias come in and the Bible actually says, did, when it was before you sold it, was it not in your power to keep it or sell it? And after you sold it, was it not in your power to keep the money or to give it away? Wherefore there has you, have you lied then to the Holy Spirit? See, what he did was he came in and he said, yeah, we've sold this possession and here's all the money. He should have been honest and took the responsibility that we kept a little bit back for ourselves and the rest were given to you. Do you know what happened? They dropped dead on the spot. Because you don't lie to the Holy Spirit. So your punishment depends on how you answer when you're, when you're caught, when you're confronted. Amen? Let's look at a few other verses. So Eve, Adam blamed Eve and Eve blamed the serpent. And now we see that there's going to be punishment dealt out. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, you're cursed more than all cattle. And more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And we see that that has not changed, has it? That's still the way it is. Old snakes, they crawl around on their belly, breathing dust. That's what they do, because God said so. Amen? Verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now there's a natural implication to this. You know most people in this world, I'd say about 98, 99% of people, they don't like snakes, do they? That's the enmity you put between those that was going to come after Eve and the rest of the snake world that would live after that. People just don't like them. They get weirded out by them. I know there's a few people that like them and like to handle them and, and this kind of stuff. But what God set forth here is still true today. People just don't like to be around them. They crawl around in the grass and hide and you can't see them. And they're just, they're eerie and that's there. But there's also a spiritual implication to this verse right here. This speaks about a Messiah that was going to come out of the seed of the woman. It was going to be born into this world. It was going to be a man walking on this earth. Praise God. That there was going to be a Messiah coming. This is what was going to happen. I could summarize it this way. I thought of this summary this week. Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. That this Messiah was going to tread upon the serpent. Amen. <laughs> that the serpent would always be under his feet. And there was when Jesus came, there was never a time that the devil defeated him. Amen. He thought he might have defeated him at the cross. But on the third day, he rose again and he was utterly defeated. Praise God. So when he talks about, he says, says that the, the serpent will bruise his heel. But that Messiah was going to bruise his head. Jesus was victorious over the devil in every instance while he was here on earth. He never once failed. Think about that. The devil was under his feet. At best, the devil was going to bruise Jesus' heel. Because that's as far as he could get. He was going to constantly and always be under Jesus' feet. Praise God. There's a lesson in that for you and I, but that would be a lesson for another day. We need to put the devil in his place sometimes. Amen. Put him under our feet. Don't let him rule over us. Don't let him get a leg up on us, but put him under our feet. Jesus Christ put him under his feet, didn't he? He would say sometimes when he was tempted to be uh, committing sin, what would Jesus tell him? Get behind me, Satan. Go on. Leave me alone. Exercise that authority over the enemy. Praise God. Verse 16, he says this. And the ladies in the room today that's, that's had children, they're going to say, 
I remember this. So verse 16 says, And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. I don't know too many women that's ever had a baby, unless they've had a lot of pain medication, and see, up until recently that wasn't even possible. But that's very painful. Michelle told me that that was pain she had never felt, and she said, and I don't really think I want to feel it again. It was how painful it was to give birth to a child. And it's all because they casted the blame on somebody else. I truly believe had they accepted the blame, things may have been a little bit easier. There was going to be punishment. We're going to pay for our sins some way or another. But God can lighten that blow if we'll just be honest with him, right? If we live a whole life of sin and we get to the end of our life and we want to repent and then we start trying to blame, well, it's because I was raised this way. No, just come clean and say, I've done wrong. I knew better than a lot of the stuff I did. Amen. Verse 17. And this is one that I see a lot, especially those of us that likes to grow gardens and different things. We see how it works. Verse 17 is more punishment. Then to Adam he said, Because you've heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. <clears throat> you ever thought about that? All the things that come up out of the ground that are a nuisance. All the bugs and all that stuff. They say their larva comes out of the ground. That's where they start. Man, be nice if those things weren't around, wasn't it? How much of our life is spent fighting bugs and thorns and thistles and briars? A whole lot of it, isn't it? Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. It means it was going to be work. You know, we all like to grow gardens. We, we grow what we call hobby gardens. and We might put up a little bit of food for the next year and stuff. But I want you to think about it. If we had to get out there by hand and grow enough food to last us and our kids a whole year, we'd have to have a pretty big patch of ground, wouldn't we? There'd be a lot of work involved, wouldn't it? And look what we were going to fight the whole time. Verse 18. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, <clears throat> and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are and to dust you shall return. Verse 18, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. <clears throat> you, can have a, you can have a nice patch of ground cleaned up and it look like a golf course. Beautiful green grass and just manicured and beautiful. If you stop working on it, if you stop keeping the weeds out and stop cutting the grass and all that stuff, you give it just a few years and you watch what would happen to that place. It'd be totally overgrown. And you'd never recognize it was ever a golf course. You go out there and you grow that garden. And, I, and I, I've sprayed uh, my garden several times with Roundup in the spring. All them leafy things that comes up and I'll spray them out and everything's fine. Then you'll have your crops coming up doing good. And all of a sudden there's this other kind of weed. Comes up later in the year. Well you can't spray it because then you spray your stuff too and kill it. And there's a constant battle with the weeds. And the briars and the thistles. Think about it. It was all part of the curse because man broke God's commandment. And since we're their children, whether we like it or not, whether we want to admit it or not, we're Adam and Eve's children. It passed right on down to all of us. Praise God. We're all actually kin when we think about it, when we get back down to the Lord, right? All the way back to the beginning. Verse 19, I wished it weren't this way. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread 
till you return to the ground. You remember working in the garden when you was a kid? And instead of getting up early and doing it in the morning when you should have, when it was cool, you waited around till it got late in the day, and then mom said, your daddy told you to weed that garden, and you better have it done before he gets home. And all of a sudden you get out there and it's 90 degrees and you're trying to weed the garden and sweat's pouring down your face and you're just covered up and drenched in sweat. See, that's what it is. God said that's going to be part of your punishment. It's going to be labor. It's going to be work. Where our food comes from today, we've got a lot of machines that take care of that and we don't have that manual labor like that. But I want you to think about it. It's still work going on because those machines work constantly to keep our food supplied to us. So it still hasn't changed. Verse 19, the last part of that says, Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. That's a sad thing. But that's what happens to our loved ones. I, I, I think about this quite often. I don't like funeral homes. I don't like looking at people that's passed away because they don't really look like them. They look like a piece of clay. You ever thought about that? You look and you see their hands there. And they just don't look real. But it's because they're dust. And their body eventually is going to return to that dust. And nobody has changed that. Nobody has defeated that except one. And that's Jesus Christ. Thank God for that. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But that's what the curse was. For out of the ground you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Verse 20 says this, And Adam called his wife's name Eve. Because she was the mother of all living. That's what the word Eve means there in, in the Hebrew language. It's just simply life or living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord made tunics of skin and clothed them. Now I want you to think about the difference. Last week we talked about the coverings they made for themselves. They weren't sufficient, were they? They were just a temporary thing to kind of to make themselves feel a little bit better about their own self, right? But here it says God made them skins of tunics and clothed them. The covering for their shame meant an animal died somewhere or another. We don't know what it was. I'm going to just go out on a limb and guess it was a lamb. Amen? It was probably a lamb that the Lord made them skins to cover their, cover their nakedness. So we see here that even in God's punishment, there's mercy. Even in God's punishment, there was mercy. And here from the very beginning you see it. Verse 22 says this, and we'll be closing here just in the next couple verses. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has come, become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. God was saying, This is not a good thing that man has become like us to know good and evil. We're afraid now that he may take of the tree of life and live forever in his sinful state. I'm telling you right now, I don't want to live forever in a sinful state. We talked about it in that song a while ago. That song talked about it. One of these days we're going to go be with Jesus. That's where we want to be living forever. I don't want to live forever in a world like this where sin does what it does to people. I don't want the heartache and the pain and the sorrow and the sickness that everybody's having to deal with. That's why God's getting ready to do an act of mercy right here that we're going to talk about just for a moment. He said that man has become like us to know good and evil and now... It's not a good thing because he might reach out and take of the tree of life and live forever in his sinful state. And so it was an act of mercy what God does here in a minute when he closed the door to the tree of life. He closed it for a little while. But that one he was going to tread on the serpent's head, he was going to open the door and he was going to open the way back to that tree of life. The Bible says in Revelation that there's a tree of life 
in the paradise of God. Amen. Verse 23. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim, which means simply angelic beings, placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. What a sad place that that was when Adam was taken out of paradise, out of the garden, out of all that wonderful thing that was there. We, we just have to assume. We don't even know. The Bible doesn't really describe what paradise was like there. But we know that had to be a heartache to Adam and Eve when they were cast out. But we see that even though in God's punishment, it was for our own good. He didn't want man. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. And when Jesus died on that cross and he rose on the third day and he went back and went into heaven to appear before God for us. And God said, I'm pleased. And he said, now sit here on my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Guess what happened on that day? The way to the tree of life was reopened. Hallelujah. The way to the tree of life was reopened. No longer is it being guarded by this cherubim that says you can't come in here no more. We have access to that through Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice. Amen? Amen. God is merciful to us. Amen? He alone is worthy. Praise God. Let's pray over this word today. I want you to be aware that our response to the Lord is very important. We've seen through the scriptures that how we respond is very important. Amen. Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name. We give you thanks and praise. We, we give you honor today in this place, Lord. Help us, Lord, to, to take this lesson to heart. That, Lord, if we do mess up and if we make a mistake, if we do wrong, help us to not blame anybody else but ourselves. Help us, oh Father, we ask it in Jesus' name, to accept blame for ourselves. Accept responsibility, Lord, we see from the very beginning that we need to accept responsibility and not blame anyone else, but to accept it for ourselves. God, we pray for our family members that may not understand this. Maybe they're running from you right now and, and hiding away from you because they're blaming this and blaming that and blaming someone else. Help us, Lord, to show them in the loving way, however way that they need to be taught, that, that they need to accept responsibility for themselves. And the reason their life is the way it is is because they have made the decisions they've made. And Lord, if we'll truly confess and truly own up to what we've done and, and take responsibility for it, Lord, we know that you will help us and you'll be there for us. We see your mercy even in punishment. And today we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray that you keep each one safe. Go with them to the next appointed time and keep us all, Lord, walking with you closely. That we may adhere to your words always and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah.